At any rate, it is our privilege to be here today. There's something about the body of Christ that is just fun. And uh, being able to worship with you is a great thing. And, and I'm glad. I'm glad that, that you are meeting here regularly to just enjoy God. And I hope we get to do that. And along the way, God probably will just surprise you. If he does that occasionally for you, you will relate to the, my opening comments here. I, I love it when God does the unexpected. When you are going along thinking you will understand something, and God just brings along another piece that you didn't see ahead of time. And sometimes it comes out of the blue. We got a call a couple of weeks ago from my, my son Paul and his wife Katie in Michigan, and they were bubbling because God had surprised them uh, with a, a cash gift. Somebody in their church uh, they aren't making a whole lot of money right now in, in that ministry. It's a smaller church, and he's the youth pastor there, but God has continued to meet their needs. But he was calling, as Paul does whenever there's something fun uh, to, to celebrate or if there's a challenge. But this time it was, we just had to call and tell you what God's done. And uh, somebody gave him a, a, a gift, dropped by the house, and uh, he was just just floored that, this wasn't a, a box of food. That has happened a couple of different times along the way. But this time it was a cash gift. And so we don't know what your need is, but we're sure there is one. And uh, here it is. And Paul said, you know what's amazing about that is this couple didn't look like they'd have the means to give something that extravagant to us. He was just humbled by that. And the reason he said he calls us and tells us those things is he says, I know you wonder sometimes whether God will take care of us the way he's taking care of you guys. But he does. I, I know that. But thanks, because I need to be reminded of that. And, and, uh, uh, but God does those unexpected things. <clears throat> when God does the unexpected... Uh, sometimes we recognize it right away. Sometimes it takes us a little bit of time to watch his hand unfold that way. And we've got this idea of what justice looks with God. And, and we've got our own image of what that could be like. Uh, justice and fairness and equity and all of that stuff is a shared attribute we have with God. I don't know if you've thought about justice being one of those communicable attributes of God, but it's something that not at the same way God does, but he does share it with us to some degree. We share it with him, I should say. It involves a right rule or a, a right pattern of conduct or a cause and effect kind of thing. Some of you might have even seen this displayed yesterday if you watched the Olympics. I didn't get to see all the coverage, obviously. I don't think any of us can watch all the coverage. Uh, but there was a, a swimming competition, and I believe the swimmer was from China. I'm not sure. And they lined him up on, on the heat, all eight of them there. And uh, the, gun sound, the, or the signal sounded, and uh, this athlete was disqualified for a false start. And they went back, and the commentators are saying, man, I, did, I didn't see that. Look, that looks like a really smooth start. I, I don't... I don't think that was fair that he should have been disqualified. And then they, they slowed it down. And sure enough, they couldn't do anything. Well, then 
the, the Olympic Committee, the judges there, started reviewing that thing, and they overturned the disqualification, because that means he wouldn't qualify, and he was a, uh, a, a top contender for the swimming event that he was in. We had the concept of fairness, and, and there it played out, because they went back and examined, said, whoops, uh, the, the person that signaled he was disqualified was an error, and, and the, the real rule, ruling is he needs to be allowed to compete, and he was, and did very well. But then, the guy that got bumped because he was now in, because this other guy lost in Canada. I'm not sure I've got the facts straight. I didn't make that uh, detailed of an analysis of it. But then he appealed, saying, wait a minute, how come I was, I was eligible and now I'm disqualified? And that doesn't seem fair. Can I compete too? And they reviewed things and said, no. No, you can't, because we only have this many, the rule, only this many can compete in the next round, and uh, if we give that one, we disqualified him, his time was good enough, but that means that you, bumped, you got bumped off, and so your appeal is being rejected. And, and so they reinstated one and rejected another one. We've got this idea of fairness. If you think I'm doubting, think about the common wisdom we have. If you're in athletic training or in working this, you know, you want to get physically fit, you can comp uh, complete this phrase, I'm sure. No pain, no, no gain. Oh, well, you, you do have an understanding of what cause and effect is. Um, the early bird gets the, yeah, because that means if he's industrious and gets out there in the morning when the dew's on the ground and the, the worms are up top, the early bird will get that. Yeah, but the, I, somebody else had a twist on that. said, yeah, but the second mouse gets the cheese. <laughs> Cause and effect going a little differently there. Uh, <clears throat> you listen to Subway commercials, you know, you are what you eat. Uh, <clears throat> You get what you pay for. I mean, we, we got all kinds of things that says we know what's, what's just and what's fair. It's this cause and effect principle. And, and that's given to us in, in the scriptures. We, we find that. This shared attribute of God is something that we just, we just know. We understand when it's there. Even traveling around the country this summer, we got to go out and visit our kids and, and that stuff. I saw these signs, and they're in Wisconsin, do click it or tick it. If I want to avoid getting a ticket and not wearing my seatbelt, this is the, the cause, and the effect is I, I get to keep more money in my pocket. And, and so we've got these things um, in, in our mind all the time. God's justice is related to a doctrinal word called justification. And even when I say that word, I'm fearful that some of you will glaze over and say, that's a doctrine word. That's a heavy word. I, I, I don't know. If we're talking about justification, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep going here unless we bring in the coffee in a hurry. But it's a really special thing. It, it's the God's declaring that we are righteous. It, it, it's an action on his part that declares we are righteous. It, and that in turn, we have a right relationship with him. There, there's nothing in between us. And so when we think about this cause and effect kind of relationship, the uncommon, when God did the unexpected, the, the, the uncommon principle here is that what should have happened didn't happen and something else did. 
and I love it. You are here today. If you know Christ, you are here today because God did the unexpected with his justice. Some of you know the word. And if I took you back to the book of Genesis and said, do you remember this Bible character named Lot? You'd say, oh, yes, 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 yes. Relative of Abraham, and he had, the, uh, he had a wife and he had some daughters. They, they, they lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, and you are right. And God said, I am going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And he sends his messengers, and he gets Lot's family together and said, you have got to leave. This place is going to be wiped out, head for the country. Hurry up. And Ot was not an excited way to move, and so they said, they got him by the hand. We're leading you out now. And uh, whatever you do, don't you look back, because God's destruction is on here. And you know the story. Some of you do. Lot's wife, coming out of town, turns around and looks back. Direct disobedience. I don't know what motivated that. Was it curiosity? Wondering, what's God's destruction really look like? Maybe it was, but that's my home. That, that's where we raised our kids. That's where our wealth was. And they didn't like the city they lived in. It says that Lot's righteous soul was vexed because of it. I don't know what motivated that, but when she back, she lost her life just like that. There was a, a look back. And death. She became a pillar of, of Saul. You remember the story of King Saul? When he grew impatient, waiting for the prophet Samuel to come so they could offer the sacrifice. And, and Samuel said, hey, in three days I'll be there. And First Kings tells us this story. But, but Samuel grew impatient and decided he was going to go in and make this offering. And Samuel shows up about the time he's done with this. And Samuel says, you know what? Uh, God's, God's taking his hand off of your kingdom. And he starts to leave. Saul grabs onto his clothing and a piece of it rips off. And, and, and Samuel turns around and says, Saul, the kingdom is going to be torn from your hand and given to another. Your impatience has consequences. And, and so you're going to lose the kingdom and it's going to be given to another. We know it's David. You could go to another one. You might not know the name of this servant. His name's Gehazi. Maybe some of you know that story. But he was a servant of Elisha. And you know the story of Naaman, the one that was cleaned of leprosy. Probably many of you would. In fact, I think maybe some of the kids that left would know the story. And how uh, Naaman was so great for this, he wanted to, to give gifts back to Elisha. And Elisha said, no, 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 I don't need those. And, and sent him on your way because it was God that healed. I, I didn't do it. This was God's act. And you obeyed. You went down to the river. I, I don't need anything. Gehazi started thinking about that and wanted the stuff. <laughs> so he comes up with a plan and he goes back and says, okay, here's what I, I want to do. I want to, I, I, we could use that stuff. There's some, some seminarians a couple of these guys from the School of the Prophets, they, they could use some clothing, they could use some money. W would you mind uh, if we did accept your gift after all? He snuck away or sneaked away from Elisha. When I got it, the end result was what? He comes back. Elisha confronts him about his sin, and he said, oh, the leprosy that was on Naaman is now on you. 
and he was afflicted with leprosy, a horrendous disease that took his life eventually because of covetousness, because of, uh, of impatience. We see King Saul affected. Have we, uh, have we hit where we live yet? How about, how about Ananias and Sapphira? Acts 5. Well, Barnabas sure got a whole lot of credit for giving his land away and, and turning the resources over to this uh, church family that's starting up here. And, and man, everybody's singing their praises. Maybe we should do something similar. So they concoct a scheme, didn't they? And they're going to lie. Uh, we sold our land and here it all is. And that wasn't true. It was only partially there. And Peter asks them about it. Did you sell the land for this much money? Oh, yes. And we've given it all to the church to meet the needs of those that are being uh, afflicted by persecution. Tough times. Dead. Sapphira, tell me, did you and your husband sell the land for that much money? Oh, yes, we did. Why did you lie to the Spirit of God? The same people that carted out your husband are waiting here to take out your body. Boom. So now, look at these things. Was it this desire for a home that got in the way of obedience to God with lots of life? Was it the impatience of King Saul? Was it the greed, the covetousness of Gehazi? Was it the, the lying? I mean, these are things, sins, that God judged immediately. And we say, oh, man, he, he means business. He wants our attention. Then we come to this idea in Romans that, that justification, that, that faith, that how does it happen? Chapter 4 gives us an illustration of this. And while we get into the illustration in chapter 4, I want to tell you a couple of things. In fact, it's in our notes there. This righteousness, this justification does not happen because of our efforts. And I can say that concretely because before we get to chapter 4, we get to chapter 3. And Paul doesn't even make us go searching through the Old Testament to find these Old Testament passages. He kind of lays them in there. Look at chapter 3 and verse 10. As it is written... And then he gives us a bunch of verses here. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They've all uh, together become unprofitable. There is none that, who does good, no, not one. He goes on to talk about their speech. It, it's like an open tomb. The decay. Their tongues, they practice deceit. It dropped down. The way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God in their eyes. That's what these people are like. It's people. No one fits this. And that's why, then, we teach our kids, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if it's, if it's not happening because of human effort, then that means it can only happen through, through grace. And that is true. So Paul is writing here and says, okay, but now I know where a bunch of you are going. You're going to say, yeah, but there is something that people do. And let's talk about Abraham because, I mean, he, he is the picture of one who's commended for his faith. But, but look at what he did too. And so in that sense, we're going to take a look at uh, uh, this section. <clears throat> Abraham believed God. What does that mean? 
what does it mean if he believed God? We know that that's stated in Genesis, all kinds of sections in there. We pick it up in, in chapter 12 when we find this first command given to him of Genesis. But, but, it, but he, he gets the people thinking about the belief in God. Now, that, that uh, illustration, Abraham believed, those first couple of blanks there, he believed in God's promise. I, I'm going to kind of break into the story a little bit here and give you the context. There were some people that said, yeah, you know, Abraham believed God, but he also had to do this, this thing in order to get the promise. Verse 3, it first says, uh, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Paul is saying, you've got to walk through this logically. What it would be like if you went to your place of employment, and at payday, the, the boss comes out, supervisor comes out and says, I just want you to know that this money is coming to you because of the good graces of my heart. Just because I want you to have this money. And you're saying, what? That doesn't fit. I, I was hired to do this job with the understanding that if I did my work, I showed up when I was supposed to, and I did the job the way he wanted me to, that I would get paid in return for that. I'm just giving this to you because of the good graces of my heart. It's, it's all because of my grace that you're getting this. Said, no, no. What, what about so-and-so then? Are, are, you, him, are you gracing him the same way? Well, no. Why not? Well, because he's missed three out of the four days. And the other day, he only worked half, half the time anyway, he, so I'm not paying him. Well, then, but you're paying me. But you, you see, that, that's where Paul's illustration is. If you're working, you're going to get paid. It's no longer an act of, of graciousness to be giving something for what you do. And he says, when you look at Abraham, don't you dare think for a moment that it's because of what he did that he declared righteous. But what did he do? Verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Let's look at what he believed. Verse 17, he believed, this is the blank, in God's promise. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though he did. He believed in God's promise. God told him in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, you leave your country, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to make your descendants incredibly large, in fact, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed, and you're going to have a land, a definite land that belongs to you, and Abraham believed, believed in God's promise, what he said he would do, oh, but then some of the wise Jewish people said, no, 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 wait a minute. There was this thing called circumcision. And if he didn't fulfill that, that responsibility to obey God with circumcision and have all the male descendants from that point on be circumcised, th then he would not have had that. And, and so he, he comes back and says, oh, wait a minute. It's not of works here. 
because we can go back and look at the story, and he, he does say this in verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon them, the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised? For that we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10, ask the question, how was it accounted, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, it didn't happen after circumcision, but while uncircumcised. He received the sign, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while he was still uncircumcised. There's the key point. You go back in Genesis and you'll read that. God gave him the promise, and he believed that promise. And a couple chapters later that God says, all right, here is going to be a, a, a sign that you know that this is true. I, I know your heart, but here's how we're going to know this elsewhere. And so Paul is saying, oh, it's, you believe God's promise. Abraham, you can believe against hope. Verse 18. Who contrary hope, in hope believed. I love that phrase. So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall so your descendants be. Well, what's the hope against hope? Well, the reality. Is Abraham was looking around and said, hey, uh, Lord, is it going to be Eliezer, my servant? He's, is he going to be the one? No, he's not going to be the one. Later on, Sarah comes up with this idea, how about Ishmael? You know, you, you have a child with Hagar, and, you can have, and he said, Lord, Ishmael. And God says, no. <laughs> no, Ishmael, he's going to be a great nation too, but he is not the son of promise. No, what I'm talking about, Abraham, is you and Sarah having a son. That child will be the son of promise. You understand this? Yes, okay, I, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. But, but he, he believed God in spite of circumstances. Verse 19 has that in there. And not only against hope, but in spite of the circumstances. The circumstances are, are such that how in the world is this going to happen? My wife is past childbearing age. I'm old. This doesn't happen. The circumstances weren't steering his faith. Okay, God, I understand that. He believed God without wavering and doubting. Look at verse 20 without wavering and doubting. <clears throat> he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. When would you see this focused faith? No doubt. The son of promise is now growing up, and God says, Abraham, I've got one more thing. I want you to go to Mount Moriah, the place I'm going to show you, and there offer your son. Okay, and I find it fascinating that in Genesis, we don't read how Abraham was double-checking his instructions. It says he rose early in the morning. No mention of any other prayer, any, uh, Lord, I'm ready, but are you sure? Did I really hear this right? No, he knew what he heard. So they go there, and they prepare an altar, and, and Isaac asks the question, and, and Dad has to tell him the Lord's going to provide himself a lamb. Hey, and then... We see the story unfold. He's bound and he's placed on this pile of rocks. And his dad gets the knife out, ready. No wavering. 
at the promise of God. And we have insight from Hebrews that Abraham believed that God would fulfill his word. And if so, if that meant taking his son's life, he believed that God would bring him back from the dead. Hebrews tells us that. There's no wavering at this thing. That God would indeed do amazing things. He would do the incredible. Um, he believed in God's promise. He believed against hope in spite of the circumstances. He believed without wavering and doubting that God could do the incredible. Look at verse 21. Being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore it was counted to him for righteousness. At the end of all this, <clears throat> Paul says, don't miss it. You think it's because of his actions? No, no, no. Not his actions. His actions only showed how his faith was going to be demonstrated. But it wasn't because of his actions. That's a key part. If we think about faith that, that brings justification, that it, there's something that happens in us uh, that is very, very different than those without faith. You probably have talked to people, and maybe we even have some in our, our audience, our congregation today, that, that said, you know what, I, I've just always believed that God was real. You know, I've always believed that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And in fact, I believe that he was born of a virgin, that he really is God's son. I, I just grew up believing that. And so when you talk about having a, a personal faith of transferring my trust, I, I think I've just always believed that. But the faith of justification is a little different than that. Because the faith, and, and that's why Abraham's life is such a critical part of this. Because if we figure out what it was that saved Abraham there, what kind of faith was it? It, it is a faith that, that really impacts a lot of different areas. It, he could um, believe God, but not affect his actions. But when Abraham believed God, he left his homeland. He wa walked around the promised land. Every place your foot goes, that's going to be your land. He believed in spite of the circumstances that God was really going to do this to the point where his actions reflected his faith. Now, do you know, in James it says, the demons believe that there is one God. So this whole belief thing isn't something unique. That's not it alone. But the faith is more than just the head knowledge. It affects the intellect, but it affects your emotions. And, and oh, that verse says, uh, they believed and trembled. They're fearful. There's an emotional response to that. Why, why do you think that when Jesus confronted the demon-possessed people in the New Testament, that sometimes it's, what, what have you come to do, Jesus? How have you come to torment us before our times? They, they responded with this emotional reaction. So it's not just with our intellect, our minds. It's not just with our, our emotions. You can feel really warm and fuzzy in a church service and, and loving Jesus. And we have great music to, to get us thinking about that. And it expresses our worship. But that's not the faith of justification. If it stops with those two elements, 
The person's not, no one here would say demons are justified. But they have belief, uh, but they have feelings about this, and they've reacted. There's an emotional response to it. No. <laughs> See, with Abraham, it hit one other area. It, it hit his actions, his will, to the point that he was ready to take his son and offer him. It, it, it impacted his actions all the way through. Okay, it's not going to be Eliezer. It's not going to be Ishmael. It's, it's going to be Isaac, but I'm to offer him. Okay, I, I just know, God, that you're going to do what you said you do. I will, I will trust you. It will show up in how I live my life. That is the difference between faith that saves and that artificial faith. When that faith is in your heart, it impacts the choices you make. It impacts how you serve. It impacts what you buy. It impacts what you see on TV or movies, on your computer screen. It, it impacts the values that you have. It impacts the choices you make of, in every area of life. That, I think, is really helpful for us to look at that. We may not get all the way through these notes, but I don't care about that as long as you realize that the reason that Paul gave us this illustration about Abraham was to help us understand what is it that makes justification possible. Why is it that God chooses to declare us right before him? Why is it that we get to have a relationship with him? Well, it's because, because of belief that affects our intellect, our emotion, and our will. Those are the essential elements of our personality. We say that God has personality because he has those elements. We are made in his image. We reflect those things too. So it only makes sense that if God's made us that way, that when we have faith in him, it will impact those areas as well. Some of you would be like me. You get that sheet of notes and you got these blanks that aren't filled in, and you go, man, I wonder what, I wonder what goes in them. My wife and I are different. She, she'd be happy to just say, I, okay, I don't need to worry about that. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, you would. And, and me, I'd, I'd go find some way and talk to him afterwards and, and say, what, what was in there? I'm just kind of curious, and that's all it is for me. But Romans 5, we did 1 through 11 in our adult discipleship time. But 12 through 21 gives us the, the foundation. How is it possible we are condemned in Adam? We receive condemnation. And so Paul continues this thought. If this is what faith is like, here's how it happens. Because one of us had to be taught to be sinners. Did you ever have a lesson from your mom and dad before you went into that classroom as a kid before you went to school, say, now listen, here's what I want you to do. If you see somebody else with something you want, you give them a good shove, grab what they have, and then you run over and you play with it, whatever it is. Hey, we're in those family gatherings or a church thing. What you do is when, when we're all eating together, you get over to the dessert table first and make sure you get what you want and as much as you want. Shove the old people out of the way. You know. That, that's what you really need. Do we do that? No, no, one, no one has ever been taught that. Why? Because we are condemned in Adam. That sin nature is there. And, and it comes 
right at the beginning. We see it immediately. If you understand that no parent, and even the most secular person that believes mankind is basically good, it's his environment that's all messed up, you put, pin them in a corner, they will say, I, I learned to be evil. No, I, I was just, it just came. I learned to be selfish. I had to be work on the other parts. Uh, selfishness came automatically. No one taught that. That's what I'm trying to say. Because of condemnation. If we know that condemnation can come that way, well, then Paul says, then you can understand why justification comes in Christ. And we don't have time to look at that section of verses, but the illustration is there. It's the principle. In one man's action, we're all condemned. And so, by the one act of the second Adam, Christ, we can be justified. Now, with this, I'll close. That principle of justification, God's unexpected actions, whereby he declares us okay with him, is universally offered. It's given to every person on the face of the earth, but it is not universally applied. It, it is not universally applied in its application. So the difference then comes back to this whole question of faith. So what does it mean to be justified? It comes back to faith. The foundation is Christ, but the basis for it really is what do we do? Now, in a congregation on Sunday morning, I'm expecting that lots of you understand Christ's death on the cross, and it ought to impact how you, how you sing together. But if you have come in today and never connected the dots in this way in your church experience, whether you've been here or you're visiting as a guest, that it is one of those things that you have to evaluate. Oh, yeah, my parents never taught me how to be bad. My, my parents never gave me lessons on lipping off to teachers. That came naturally. Uh, I live off to them. I, I, they didn't like it. You know, I, I, now I understand why. But Christ gives you a new life because of what he did on the cross. At any rate, for those of you who do know Christ, it ought to make you want to worship him. And, I, and I'd remind you that it should impact your mind, your action. It's not just fire insurance. It's not a get out of jail, a get out of hell free card kind of thing like we take from a Monopoly game. It's far more personal than that. And if you have any questions, I am a guest speaker. I, I'd be happy to share that. But you know, Pastor Nick, and there's a whole bunch of other people that would help you sort through that. If I'm not around or available or you can't find me or whatever. And that's the invitation for those who are, are searching, connecting those dots, I say. Let's pray and then we'll ask our worship team to come back and sing. Thanks, Lord, for the uh, opportunity we have to uh, rejoice in the fact of your justification, the uncommon action. When you did the unexpected, I, I think in my own life, I've been lying, and you did not punish me with death at that moment, the way you did Ananias and Sapphira. I've coveted things that other people have enjoyed, and you have not given me leprosy like you did Gehazi. I've been impatient 
but you didn't judge me the same way you judged King Saul. Lord, I know that I am just... just a sinner that needed grace. And Father, you know my heart. You know that when I look at this passage, the message seems so important. It seems like it is the centerpiece of of the gospel, of the Bible. And then I, I realize that it's not the centerpiece. Your glory is the centerpiece. And and what we've talked about here is, is like the tablecloth or the doily underneath that centerpiece. So you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy of our, our gratitude. And I pray that our lives would reflect that kind of faith this week. In Jesus' name.